Well, good morning to everyone again. If you were not with us last week, first of all, I'm glad you're here. Secondly, we uh, handed out a uh, study tool, which is the scripture journal of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so if you didn't get one last week, you want one this week, just raise your hand. Jimmy will bring you one. That can be yours all throughout uh, this time of study together. Again, those cost the church about $4. So if you want, place $4 in the box. If you can't do that, that's okay. Uh, if you have a little more than that and you want to compensate for some other people for who couldn't pay for them, drop a little bit more in the box to help cover that cost. All right? But if you would, please turn with me to the book of 1 John. And we are beginning our time in verse 5. We'll look at verses 5, 6, and 7 this morning. Now, before we begin reading, let's just do a brief summary of last week. Last week, we looked at who wrote this, when he wrote it, who he wrote it to, and so just some information here. Who wrote the letters of John? Well, John the Apostle did. When did he write it? Somewhere between 85 and 95 AD. And so if you're keeping track, if Jesus was around 30, 33, we're, we're a little bit more than 50 to 60 years past that time. Okay. Uh, what is this that we're reading? It's a general letter. It was written to a mass of churches, not to a single church. And who did he write that to? Well, the church is found in Asia Minor. Where is Asia Minor? I'm glad you asked. I have a map for you. So Asia Minor is right here. The seven dots that you see right there, the seven churches of Revelation. And because we just finished the book of Philippians, there's the city of Philippi up north. Okay, so uh, John is living most likely in the city of Ephesus and uh, the dot out in the water is Patmos where he was exiled and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Okay, so we can kind of get our bearings here, right? Okay, so this is John living in Ephesus, writing to the churches, not only these seven churches, but all the churches in Asia Minor. What do we know about these churches? They had something in common. They had at least four things in common. Number one, he is writing to the believers in these churches. And so the letter is addressing the believers. Okay, number two, uh, they were being deceived. And uh, those references there, you can look for that specific reference. Number three, they needed instruction, as we all do. And number four, they needed assurance, as we all do. Okay, so they found themselves in a very similar situation that John was writing to all these churches for this particular reason. Okay, all right, we're going to look at our text for this morning now. First John chapter 1, let's look at verses 5, 6, and 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John begins here, and he says, this is the message we have heard from him. This is the message we have heard from him. What, he talked about that last week, didn't he? 
And he said several things about that message. He said, now this is the message concerning the eternal life. And I'm proclaiming that to you now. And by the way, this message and concerning the eternal life, uh, we have seen it. We have looked upon it. We have touched it. It's real. And so John is really emphasizing to us the real, the historical reality of Jesus himself and this gospel message. John himself put his hands on the sun. John himself saw Jesus Christ with his own eyes. And now he's saying this very real gospel I'm now proclaiming to you. And so here's the beginning of the message. Now he's saying, so let me tell you this message. Let me tell you this message that this one brought concerning eternal life. Here's how it starts. This is the message we have heard from him and now proclaim to you. And here's the substance. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Is that where you expected the gospel proclamation to start? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But in fact, he's beginning with a description of God and his character for a reason. What does it mean that God is light? What does he mean? For God is light. This is, I mean, he's been really building up to something, this great eternal life message about God and the gospel. And so now he's going to begin, here it is, here's the great message, that God is light. What does he mean? First of all, there are really two different aspects of talking about God in terms of light. And the first is a literal or visual reality concerning light and God. You know this, but think about this with me. When God created all things, the first thing he created was what? Light? Light is correct. Light. The first thing God creates is light. Now, in the created universe, what naturally gives off light? The sun, the stars, which we know the sun is a star, but the Old Testament says sun, moon, and stars, right? Now, yes, the moon gives off light, but only by means of its reflection of the sun. So the stars. We're talking about the stars, right? Now, on what day does God create the stars? Day four. So God creates light on day one and creates the stars on day four. Have we just found a contradiction in the Bible? No. Because there is a literal, visual manifestation of the glory of God in terms of light. Revelation 21-23. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God gives it light and the lamp is the lamb. So there is a real way, a real visual way in which God emits light, his glorious radiance. Isaiah 60 verse 19 is really what John is referencing. He knows this to be true. Isaiah 60, 19. The sun will be no more. Uh, nor brightness of the moon to give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and God will be your glory. Or how about Exodus 34? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand and he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. That's weird, isn't it? We can admit that. That's strange. Reality. That's a strange thing. 
But Moses was talking with God in the presence of God and because of the great radiance of the glory of God visually, his face was actually shining. Or how about last one here? Matthew 17, when Jesus is transfigured. He was transfigured before them and wouldn't you know it, his face shone like the sun. They got a glimpse into the true reality of the Son of God, didn't they? But is this what John means? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so the reality he's bringing to us is that God shines a visible light. And so you need to know that before we go anywhere else. Is that his point, you think? That doesn't have much impact on us, does it? So he might mean something else. He definitely does mean something else. What does he mean? Well, there's a figurative or spiritual reality to light as well, and we find it actually far more prevalent in the scriptures. In the scriptures, light is representational of life, instruction, goodness, truth, salvation, peace, rejoicing, the covenant, justice, righteousness, and God's presence. You see, light is representational of all these spiritual realities. I would say visual light is actually the manifestation of a greater spiritual reality, and that's the best way to understand it. Is that the visual light is a manifestation of a greater spiritual reality. Although light came into existence in the physical universe at a particular time, God has always been light. But on day one, he created light, but yet God has always been light. He doesn't change, right? Isn't that part of God? God never changes. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. But light didn't exist until day one of creation, and yet God existed from eternity past. So light existed before light existed in a particular sense. And this is the sense that John is getting to. John 1.9, Gospel of John. John 1.9, true light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only one from the, uh, the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.13, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. So when Jesus was walking around on earth, he was just a beam of light? Or is this a figurative spiritual representation of a greater reality, right? So what are we talking about? I think of it this way. Just as the sun gives light to an otherwise dark world, so God himself, as the true light, gives light to those who are in darkness. In what kind of darkness? Spiritual darkness. And how could we possibly understand that reality without some kind of visual representation to attach that to? You see, because spiritual light existed before visible light. Right? God is altogether good. He is altogether in light. Uh, John 3, verses 19 through 20. This helps us to move on in our conversation because it says this, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. So here's the connection that we need to definitely grasp 
is that this darkness and lightness has to do with the works of humanity. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works be exposed. So this spiritual light shines into dark lives, exposing the areas of darkness, the areas of sin, the areas of wickedness, the areas of evil. So we can say these two general realities, that light, when we speak of it here in John, 1 John, that light is the sphere of righteousness. That is all that is good is what the light is. So when John is talking about the light, light, he's talking about righteousness, what is perfectly good, all that is good. And when he talks about darkness, he's talking about a sphere of unrighteousness, all that is evil, all that is wicked. And so look back at 1 John 1, 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. In what way? That he is perfectly righteous. And in him is how much darkness, how much unrighteousness is in God? None. You see, he is absolutely pure, perfect, holy. There is no spot or blemish anywhere in God himself. And so why did he start with this? It's because of this that the message of the gospel begins, begins with a proper understanding of who God is and the perfection of his holiness. If you do not begin with God, you've got a problem. Because humanity is measured against a perfect God. In John's day, and in the day of the disciples, the day of the early church, there was a lot going on in religions and how they thought about different gods. Now, at their time, the gods were a little bizarre. If you've ever studied Greek mythology, you might know a little bit about this. But the gods, were they perfect, absolutely upright, pure in all they did? No, the gods were bad. (laughs) They were bad. And everybody knew it. And the gods were changing. They were always changing their mind. And so you had to do whatever you needed to do to appease the gods. Who knows if they woke up on the wrong side of the you know, divine bed today. I don't know. And so we need to do whatever it is we need to do to appease the gods because they're not good and they change. But what do we know about our God, the true God, is that there is no darkness in him. There is no unrighteousness in him and he never changes. He is a good God. He is perfect in holiness. We must start there with the gospel. Let's look at the next verse, verse six. So therefore, what he's saying next only follows what has just been said about the nature of God because now he's gonna go to the nature of man. So if this is true about God, what do you have to say about yourself? And so he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if we say we have fellowship with him, we are Christians. That's how we would label that. While we walk in darkness, that is unrighteous behavior, we lie and do not practice the truth. You're wrong. Call yourself a Christian and yet you live and practice unrighteous behavior, then you are wrong about being a Christian. Is that a shocking reality? It shouldn't be. 
because it's the message of the gospel. If we are a person that says they are Christian while they live their life in sin, well, they're lying to themselves. Either consciously or subconsciously, right? You, do you ever lie to yourself on purpose and you know it's a lie? You're just trying to get through something. I know I'm not telling myself the truth, but uh, it's getting me through whatever I need to get through. But there are other times you lie to yourself subconsciously. You actually think your own lie is the truth. Have you ever done that? Sure. Could be either or here that John is referencing. But it's often the case that people do lie to themselves. A person may truly believe they are a Christian. They truly believe they're a Christian. But yet, Their life is full of nothing but unrighteous behavior. And they're lying to themselves and to everyone around them and to God. However, a person, if they walk in darkness, they're they're not walking in the light. And we know that's true, right? They're not walking in the light. Let Let me put this on the screen. It'll help. So light is the sphere of righteousness, right? Where all that is good happens. Now, to walk in the light is to do what is righteous, to live in that sphere, to live in that world. So the opposite is true, that darkness is the sphere of unrighteousness, all that is evil is there. And so if you walk in the darkness, you're doing, you're living in the world of doing what is evil. These two worlds make sense to us, yes? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I would say it this way. If you call yourself a Christian and are unconcerned with sin in your life, then you are lying to yourself and you're not practicing the truth. John is very concerned that his readers, his audience, understand this. Why? Because there were the secessionists, right? Those who were breaking away and forming their own group and they had false beliefs about God and about sin. They believed, as we understand right here, that you could live a life of sin and yet say you had fellowship with God. But John is here to say, listen, if you thought that, you're wrong. If you thought that you could live in the world of sin and evil and yet say you have fellowship with God, you're, you're wrong. You lie. It doesn't really sound like we talk anymore because that sounds awful judgy. Right? That's pretty judgy comment to make, judging people. I want to show you some statistics here from a recent study. This is from the American Worldview Inventory of 2021, of last year, from the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University. Okay, if you want to look it up, feel free. That's why I gave you the information. Now, These are self-identified Christians answering these questions. You ready? I'm going to read them for you. It might be a little small on the screen. First one. Lying is morally unacceptable. Lying is morally unacceptable. 53% agreed with that statement. In other words, half of them said lying is okay, and half of them said lying is not okay. These are Christians. People who say they're Christians. It gets far worse. Abortion is morally unacceptable. 55% agreed with that statement. 
Unmarried sex is morally unacceptable. Only 32% agreed with that statement of Christians. Cheating on your taxes is morally unacceptable. 59% agreed. So, yeah, no, you can't do that. I mean, I know stuff that's wrong and stuff that's not wrong. And listen, you can't do that on your taxes. All this other stuff is fine. Or how about this one? There is no absolute moral truth. 65% of self-professing Christians agreed with that statement. People are basically good. 72% agreed. Now, in their natural state, humanity, are they basically good? What? How do you know that? That sounds awful judgy. Because scripture tells us specifically that humanity is not basically good. They are altogether not good. Otherwise, why would you need a savior? There is a temptation on all of our parts to kind of almost want to believe some of these I know. I know. Because it almost kicks against your natural instinct, doesn't it? I want to believe people are basically good. I want to believe that. I want to believe you're free to choose about your sexual activity. That's up to you. It's up to you to choose whether you want life or you don't want life. But it's not true. Here's the most shocking one, in my opinion. People are born into sin and can only be saved from those consequences by faith in Jesus. 34% of Christians agreed. 34% of self-professing Christians agreed with that statement. Let me tell you something. If you don't agree with that statement, you are not a Christian. This, this is the gospel. That you need a savior and the reason you do is because of sin. You must have a savior. But if people are basically good, of what need do they have of a savior? You see how the two are related, right? So what's happening here? Very simply put, John is calling out fake Christians. Fake Christians. Those who say they have fellowship with God while they walk in the dark. And they're deceiving themselves, lying to themselves. See, I was already basically good before I came to Jesus, so there wasn't a whole lot of work to do on me afterwards. But evidently, that's what people think. Right? Tell me, have you ever believed? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty good. In my whole Christian walk here, my, uh, I'm, I'm, there's, I'm looking at my life, and you know, there's, there's not a whole lot wrong with what I'm doing. I've got it. I've pretty well got it down. Not a whole lot to critique, really. That's a scary place to be. John is going to tell us about that here soon, but not today. I want to take you just to one side note passage here uh, to get Paul's take on this situation. 
And that's in Ephesians 4. So just look there briefly with me. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of their ignorant, the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but... That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him or taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It is the work of the Christian, that we must continually, continually be evaluating our lives in relationship to the holy character of God. How does your life measure up to God's perfect holiness? Are you perfect? And in what ways are you not perfect? And should you accept that about yourself or should you change that about yourself? To have a mindset that says, I don't care I don't care how I measure up to God. I don't care what the word of God says about how to be different. I don't care that the word of God says that that's not okay. I don't care about these things. It doesn't concern me. I don't want to read my Bible and know that I'm doing something bad. Don't tell me about it. Don't come to me with your Bible verses and tell me how my life is not measuring up to scripture. I don't want to hear about it. Should this be the disposition of those who truly have fellowship with God? Because if you truly have fellowship with God who is perfect in holiness, then your life ought to reflect a life of holiness. What do you mean when you say you are a Christian? What do you mean? Do you mean that you have fellowship with God? Do you mean that you were incapable of having fellowship with God because God is holy and I am not. Because God is perfect and I am very broken. And yet Jesus Christ came and paid the penalty for my sin and made a way for my fellowship with God to be restored, to be renewed, to have fellowship with God that I otherwise couldn't have. And now by placing my faith in Jesus Christ, I have fellowship with God and I am living in his holiness and I'm right here in God's presence where there is only holiness and yet I am evil? How can that be? Let's look at verse seven. So here's the flip side of that. It says, but, so maybe that's not you. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Good. That's good news. The title of the sermon today was Post Tenebrous Lux. 
in the Middle Ages, we sometimes call this, this area or this, this season of time the Dark Ages. You've heard of the Dark Ages, yes? There was darkness. Now, it's called the Dark Ages for many reasons. Um, there was a lot of sickness, a lot of death. And to the Reformers, what this meant is that the light of the gospel was covered up. And it made the world dark without the gospel. What covered up the light of the gospel in the Middle Ages? The Catholic Church did. And so the reformers needed to reform the church to bring the light into an otherwise dark world. And so it is said that uh, there's a city in Switzerland called Geneva. And in this city, they had a motto back in the 16th century. And their motto was uh, post tenebris spero lucum, which means after darkness, I hope for light. And John Calvin was invited to come and he came and took up residence there and started preaching. And he said, he came across the sign of the city that said post tenebris spero lucum. And he said, no, 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 crossed out sparrow. And so he said, no, after darkness, there is light. Not I hope for light. No, after darkness, there is light. What did he mean? Well, this became the motto of the Reformation. That the Reformers and all those who clung to this Reformed uh, understanding of theology, that basically, in a nutshell, was all about justification by faith alone. And not by works, not by buying indulgences from the church, not by being in favor with the church, but simply by having faith in Jesus Christ will bring you about to justification, will bring you into fellowship with God. And so they said, we need to make this known to the world. We need to show the light to this dark world. And so there became, uh, became uh, all these things printed and it would say uh, post tenebris lux, post tenebris lux. And so, you know, they would sign things after their name. They'd say post tenebris lux. And so they'd be saying, listen, we're bringing the light of the gospel back to a dark world. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the disciples saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 12, 46, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Or Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. At one time, You were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead your job is to expose them. It's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. We look back at, the, at verse 7 together. Notice what it says. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, does cleanse us from all sin. What is he saying? First of all, this, that God is holy and fellowship with him demands holiness. 
God is holy. We looked at that first, remember? That's how he started, isn't it? He said, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. God is holy. God is perfect. God is pure. And so if you're saying you have fellowship with him while you yourself are not practicing holiness, you're wrong. That can't be. The two things don't go together. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Tell me, does that describe you? You call yourself a Christian. Are you zealous, eager for good works? Are you eager to get rid of the darkness that is in you? Are you eager to pursue righteousness and holiness with your life, no matter what the cost is? Are you zealous for good works? Because that describes a person who has been brought into fellowship with God. But there's a seemingly uh, contradictory idea here because there's not a person in this room who's not a sinner. There's not a person in this room who is perfect. There's not a person in this room who has done away with all their sin. They are perfectly purified. That that describes none of us. So how is it that we can have fellowship with God at all? That's a good question, isn't it? You see, we need to make sure we don't understand this backwards. The lie... uh, The works of light, righteous behavior, prove our fellowship with God, who is light. You see, those who live in darkness are going to do the deeds of darkness because in darkness, there is no light. Okay? When you lived in the world of darkness, you did not participate in the works of light, the works of righteousness. First Peter 2, 9 through 11. You are a chosen race. Talking to those who have fellowship with God truly, believers. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences, uh, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so I urge you, beloved, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. So God calls us out of darkness, a life of sin, only doing sin. He calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. How does that happen? How do we get transferred from one kingdom to another? Is it because we start doing the works of light? And God looks at us and says, oh, oh, good. Someone's doing something good, I'm going to pull them over to our side. Or is it that we were completely trapped in the world of darkness before God reached his hand in and pulled us out of the world of darkness? He transferred us. You did not transfer yourself. He transferred us to the kingdom of light. Sinners. 
So how is it that we have entrance into the kingdom of light? Based on the light and the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was credited to your account by faith. See, you are not pure, but Jesus is. See, you are not perfectly righteous, but Jesus is. And all that was in him has been credited to your account. So now you can have fellowship with God based on Jesus, not based on you. But if you have been placed in the kingdom of light, your life better reflect it. In another place, Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so verse seven makes perfect sense to us. You see, it's not that we do good works and if we do them, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's backwards. You see, if we're doing good works, it proves that we're in the kingdom of light. And if that is true, we have fellowship with one another. And if that is true, it's only true because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. That's the proper way to understand what's being said there. And so I go back to this idea of post-tenebrous lux. After darkness, light. It was the motto of the Reformation, but it should be our personal motto as Christians. Not post-tenebrous sparrow lucum, after darkness, I hope for light. I mean, I, I hope I do some good things in this life. I mean, I'm not too concerned about it. I mean, I want to enjoy my life. But, you know, I'll try. We'll see what happens. I'll be at church on Sunday, and I'll hear what there is to say. Um, but real life kicks in, you know, the whole rest of the week. No, it's not that there's a possibility. It is a must. If you are one who says that you have fellowship with God, then your life ought to be reflecting the works of light. You live in the light, that you have fellowship with God who is light? Then why does your life look like darkness? You say you have fellowship with God, but you're living your life as if you live in the dark and you're lying to yourself. And so this is why I ask, what do you mean when you say you're a Christian? Is it possible that you know people who truly believe that they are Christians, but they're lying to themselves? Do you think that's possible that you know anybody like that? Is it possible that that has ever been you at any point in your life? I said I was a Christian, but I didn't actually understand what the gospel meant. I didn't really get it. I thought it was about what I do rather than who Jesus is. I, I didn't really get it. I, was, I said I was a Christian, but my life, you, you should have heard some of the conversations I had. You should have seen what I was doing. I was not actually living the life of a Christian. Now, so that proved that I wasn't actually a Christian. You see, I said I was a Christian, but I was living like I lived in the darkness. And that proved my life. Is it possible that was ever you, ever has been you? Is it possible that that is you today? That you say you are a Christian, 
but your life in no way reflects that reality other than that you come to church on Sundays. Is it possible? Are you eager for good works in your life? Are you eager to do away with darkness in your life? Because this proves that you have fellowship with God who is light. Because if you have fellowship with God who is light, darkness will not stand. He will sanctify his church. He will purify his bride. And if you are that bride, if you are that church, he's going to be doing the work of purification in your life. Tell me, if you evaluate your life, where has God been purifying you? Can you identify it? Is God purifying you? Is he sanctifying you? Is he showing you the dark areas of your life? If the answer is no, you need to do some reevaluation because none of us is perfect. I want to end uh, our time together in Romans 6. So John desires for them to be in fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. And if you have fellowship with the Father by means of faith in the Son, then we have fellowship with each other. Why? Because we live in the same world. We live in the domain of light, not the domain of darkness. And you see what happens is if we are a community of those who live in the light and someone who is of the community of darkness comes in our midst, they're going to say, this is weirdo stuff. I don't know what you got going on here, but I know I don't like it. Because you don't get our world. But what a great privilege it is to be able to shine the light of the gospel their direction. In Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin, uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul would go on to say that we are either slaves of one thing or another. We are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to righteousness. How can that be? Because you only live in one of the two worlds and never both. You either live in the domain of darkness or you live in the domain of light. And your deeds are going to correspond to the world that you live in. By nature, humanity is born into the world of darkness. And you must be delivered from that domain by faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone or you will die in that domain of darkness. But if you have faith in Christ and depend on his righteousness, you are transferred into the kingdom of light. And now the work begins. Because now that you live in light, all of a sudden the light around you shines on your dark life and you can see where you're not perfect. You can see where you're unholy. You can see where you're unrighteous. And now my life 
whoa, I got a lot of work to do. I've never seen my life like this before. And now I'm working, I'm working, but it's not me working. It's actually the spirit of God working in me. And the more I read the word, the more I understand about God and his holiness, the more I understand about me and how unholy I am. And so I bow before God. I give my life humbly to him. I serve him. I serve righteousness. But yet darkness still resides in me. And yet Paul tells us through the spirit, don't let sin reign in your life. Don't let sin take over you. Fight it. That's not where you live anymore. You live in the light, not in the dark. And so the fight is real. After the world of darkness comes the world of light. After a life of darkness comes a life of light. So this morning we must evaluate ourselves because this is what John intended for his readers. And so now evaluate yourself. Which domain do you live in? If it is true of you that you say you have fellowship with God, then your life ought to reflect that. But if you say you have fellowship with God while your life looks like darkness, you're lying to yourself. And if you find it to be true that you say, listen, I, I do live in the light and I know that I do, but the work that I've been doing on myself is, is not what it should be. And I recognize that. And I, I, I need to recommit myself to living in holiness. I know there are areas of my life that I need to change. I know it. I know it with all my heart. I know because God's word shows me. But sometimes I harden my heart against the word of God. And I know that I need to work at personal holiness. I know it. Then do it. That is your call. That's what John wants you to go to. That's where he wants you to be. So do it. Live that way. That's what God wants for you. Live as children of light. But what if it comes to be true and you see now that I have never lived in the world of light. I have never looked into my life and, and not to earn favor with God, but because God loves me and has called me into the domain of light, now that I want to do the works of goodness and light. I, I thought it was all about me and what I did, and I actually didn't think I was too bad of a person. But the word of God says, that you are in darkness, you live in darkness, you do the deeds of darkness, and therefore the wrath of God is coming for you. And the only way out of that is by faith in the perfect Son of God who is light. And he will transfer you to the kingdom of light, he will pay your sin debt, and it will no longer be about trying to earn things, trying to be a good person. That What a horrible world to live in. You can never earn a entrance into the kingdom of light. No, God has to grant that to you. And the way that's granted to you is by faith and by faith alone, not by your works. So this is not a message about modifying your behavior to be a better person. So if that's what you've heard, you didn't hear it. This is not about being a better person. No, it's about placing your faith in the one who is perfectly good. And as you are in fellowship with him, he will reveal to you where your life is not meeting the standard. And he will actually empower you to live a life of obedience and righteousness. Are you thirsty to hear what God has to say? Are you wanting to feast on his every word because you know that God is speaking to us? If, if I am in fellowship with God, oh, I wish he would talk to me. I wish I would see his presence. I wish I would know what does he want me to do? We have the word of God. And this is why we live by the word of God. 
And so the call is to you this morning to evaluate yourselves. This is what John intended for all of his readers and all the churches. Which do you belong to? The one who says, I have fellowship with God while you walk in darkness? Or the one who says, I have fellowship with God and you walk in the light? Those are your only two options. Consider your life this morning. And if it shows that you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. It is the easiest thing you could ever do in your entire life. Salvation is not hard. Jesus Christ did the work of salvation for you. You simply need to have faith in what he did. You need to have faith in who he is and what he did for you. You need to acknowledge that you've had a life of sin. You need to depend on him wholly for your righteousness and not yourself. And so you simply place your faith in him. There is no magical formula of a prayer that you could say that would get you into the kingdom of light. No, it's simply a matter of faith. What do you do if you come to that moment of faith? Best thing for you to do is this morning, come to one of the elders, to me or Jimmy or David or Kevin, who I see out there, he's, he's participating. He's right outside the door. And go to one of us and say, I'm not sure exactly what this means yet, but I know that I've never had faith in Christ and I, that's what that's, I want to. It's as simple as it begins. So please, I'm, I'm begging you, come to Jesus Christ in faith. And for those of you who are believers, for us, let's live as children of light. This is our call this morning. Pray that God would shine a light more intensely than ever on our lives to show us the areas of darkness that we need to rid ourselves of. Not to earn his favor, but because we already have it. Let's pray. God, the word we've read and studied this morning, it, it is... is uh, on one side, it is, it is so heavy to consider, and on the other side, it is so burden-free to consider because we, we believe and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for our redemption. He lived the life we couldn't live. He bore the weight, the wrath of sin that we couldn't bear. And so now you have said that if we simply have faith in him, we, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And what a hard adjustment that is for us sometimes. Remind us where we live. Remind us, for those who have had faith in Christ, that we live in light, so we should not be acting like the world of darkness all around us, but we should be very different lights shining in a dark world. And yes, the world doesn't like it. The world doesn't like when we shine the light of the truth of the gospel on their sin. God, remind us of the life that we are to live in obedience to you. I pray now that as we sing, we sing with all of our heart, acknowledging the truth that we're singing, depending on you for all our righteousness. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.